Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. My name is Michael Zalavari, and today we are going through the prototype classes for the Le Mans 24 hours, breaking down the 32 entries across LMH and LMP2, giving you and us a bit more of an idea of where all these teams have come from, the context of them being here, and the competition that we are expecting in just on a week's time uh, as we are recording this. And joining me tonight is a good friend, Oliver Trovis. Oliver, good to have you back on the show. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's um, always a pleasure. Yes, yes. Uh, sorry, I've I've got to jump in, but um, we've already made our first mistake. <laughs> Have we? <laughs> yes, it's a it's a testament to the theme of this podcast. Um, in terms of uh, talking about hypercar uh, and its uh, constituent parts of LMH and uh, LMP1, and how confusing that gets. Um, but yes, it, it's it's a testament to uh, the fantastic naming structure that we've been given by the ACO. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> so for those who missed that mistake, like I have, so there are four LMH cars, twenty-seven LMP2 cars, and one former grandfather, well, one grandfathered LMP1 car that is competing. So we're talking about five hyper cars with an asterisk and twenty-seven LMP2 cars. <laughs> today uh so we go. <laughs> we're going to be doing a lot of that this is going to be a podcast which is going to have its moments where we're fact checking each other and correcting each other and confusing each other and hopefully not confusing you at some point before we get into the nitty-gritty of it uh we do want to thank the racingline.app our sponsor uh your motorsport calendar app uh for their support uh download the app on the ios store or on the android store they do a very very good job of keeping you alert to all the calendar changes and the sessions around the weekend which is very important for Le Mans week because the sessions are all over the shop because track action starts on wednesday which is as of this point only four days away geez where did all that time go so thank you very much to the racing line uh where did that time go, uh, Ollie? Look, it was just, it felt like just yesterday we were racing at Spa. Yeah, it's its come so quick. Like, it, oh, I, I can't believe we were already upon us. Like, normally the the WEC structure is quite spread out. So I guess we're kind of used to that because it felt like an age between Sebring and Spa. Mm. But then suddenly, bam. Bam. Yeah, Lamar. Yeah. So we're breaking down the two prototype classes for Le Mans uh, this year. By the way, if you are trying to follow along with us, we are using the a combination of the official entry list um, that has been posted uh, on the Le Mans website, um, not the FIAWEC website, because there's no documents on the FIAWEC website for some dumb reason. So this is the one on the 24 Hours of Le Mans website. And we're also cross-referencing that with what's on the Wikipedia page um, for the moment. Uh, as well, if you're listening to us after June 7th, you might have in front of you the unofficial Le Mans Spotters Guide, thanks to uh, one of our Reddit users, uh, Zionbell uh, underscore 444, or uh, Grizzly, uh, I'm going to get this name wrong, uh, Groziak Mateus on Twitter. Uh, so he's putting together a, spot a Spotters Guide, which will have all the liveries of the cars as well. So if you're following along, uh, make sure you get... Get your hands on one of those resources that'll that'll help it out. Um, so they, we've got two the, the two prototype classes at Lamar. Uh, we've already talked about uh, hypercar and 
all the complexities that are going on with that. And the other one is LMP2. So, Ollie, to start with, explain us Hypercar. What What is going on with Hypercar? What is it and how does it work? Okay. Strap in, folks, because it's going to get confusing. <laughs> um, Hypercar is the category uh, that races uh, for the top class at uh, the FIAWEC or at Le Mans. Um, the equivalent of this is uh, GTP in IMSA in the States. Um, Hypercar is an umbrella that uh, several that covers several uh, regulations that you can build a car to. Um, and uh, they have grandfathered in an older car to help pump up the grid numbers. For, uh, that's the, the Alpine, which is an old generation uh, LMP1 that has been kind of bodged to fit in into the performance window of Hypercar. So the aforementioned technical regs for the new generation, they are LMH, which is confusing because the H is Hypercar. Um <laughs> in LMH Le Mans Hypercar and LMDH, uh, which is the kind of continuation of uh, the DPIs that are in America. Um, so yes, it's confusing. Uh, all cars in the class are hypercars, but uh, they are also themselves LMHs and uh, LMP1s and in future LMDHs as well. Not confusing at all. I don't know what you're talking about when you said that was exactly. confusing. Yeah, uh, it, it is a, a, a little bit of a hodgepodge solution at the moment. Um, we will get more clarity on how that will all work next year when we have just LMH and LMDH. But the situation with Alpine is really, really interesting uh, because, as you made mention, that is a grandfathered LMP1 car, which means that it is not a car that is built to the current regulations. It's built to the previous generation's regulations. Uh, and because of that, it has a, there is a process of balancing the old regulations with the new regulations because the new regulations, uh, the LMH and the LMDH regulations, they're quite a bit slower than what we saw only a few years ago with LMP1. Yeah, so the goal was to kind of change the performance window for Hypercar to make it more attainable at a lower budget and basically stop uh, entries needing to have to spend loads of money to get a really difficult to manufacture or difficult to design car to meet that existing performance window. Like the the cars that that we saw in LMP1 were just crazy fast um, at the end yeah and for anyone to join to tr have any chance of competing was was pretty tough so um it's worked um in terms of the amount of uh people uh, or entities putting themselves forward putting their name down as racing in hypercar next season and 2024 onwards that sort of thing um there there's going to be more as well to come so it it has worked in that respect. Yeah, it's a bit slower, so some people aren't happy about that. But when you look at how many teams are are putting themselves forward, uh, or brands putting themselves forward, um, it's kind of like becoming the the prototype version of GT three, mm. where brands want to see themselves against these other brands in yeah the heat of battle kind of thing to to kind of validate their brands because they're racing against the others. 
Yeah, it's kind of one of those self-perpetuating things. Once one team joins and a few other teams join, it encourages more to join in as well. Uh, so at the moment, in in the second year of the hypercar class, we have LMH machines from Toyota Gazoo Racing and Glickenhaus Racing. Uh, so Toyota Gazoo Racing are bringing the, uh, a pair of Toyota GR010 hybrids uh, with driver lineups Mike Conway, Komu Kobayashi, Jose Maria Lopez, and then Sebastian Buemi, Brendan Hartley, and Rio. Hirakawa. Those guys have been basically static in terms of the driver lineups. The only real change has been Hirakawa stepping in for the retiring Kaz Nakajima, which happened last season. Um, Glickenhaus, on the other hand, is if you're not familiar with Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus, it's a, uh, a a team that is basically the pet project of a American millionaire? Billionaire? Um, uh, Jim Glickenhaus is the the principal behind the team. He has been running a SPX, so a GT3 like car in the Nurburgring 24 Hours and the the VLN series for quite a number of years. A, a car that he's uh, had a hand in building and designing himself. And then when the opportunity arose to take that take a machine to build a to build a machine to LMH regulations uh, and race at Lamar. He's taken that on. So that'll be the second year um, for him as well and for his two cars. Uh, interesting that they're adding a second car for the Lamar event this year. They've only had the one car for the WEC rounds thus far. So in that car... Um, in the 708 car, which has been the full season car, they've got Olivier Pla, Romain Dumas, former Porsche factory driver and former uh, winner of the Daytona and uh, Daytona 24 and Sebring 12 hours, uh, Pipo Durrani. Uh, in the 708. In the 709, which is the new car for this week, uh, is Ryan Briscoe, Richard Westbrook and Frank Malou. Malou, is that how you say that one? Malou. Malou, okay. Uh, and then, of course, the... Grandfathered Alpine is uh, running the A480, which is the Rebellion R13, which is a Orica chassis of some description. It's like an Orica 07 Plus, uh, and that's got uh, regular drivers Andre Negrau, Nicolas Lapierre, and Matteo Vaxivier. We're not going to focus too much on the drivers because at this level, they're all basically interchangeable. You know that we're talking difference of hundreds of a second between them, but in the in the season this year, you've got to say that Toyota's stranglehold on uh, on the competition on the WEC that they've had almost unchallenged for four seasons running hasn't quite been at its most extreme this season. They haven't had it all their own way. Yeah, I mean, remember when we had the start of the uh, hypercar era, and and or, or rather. When we had um, the privateers uh, for the super season, and talking about how oh Toyota, they've always had these these reliability gremlins. They 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 never really materialised because uh, they were so reliable, and until now, and this season has been kind of a renaissance, as it were, of the original Toyota kind of cloud <laughs> the- of. Yeah, reliability uh, just kind of looming. Um, we've had some some of their worst problems. Um, you know, for example, the retirement, and that was kind of quite embarrassing. And you know, we just need one of those, and it completely blows up the race um, hmm. potentially. So, um, yeah, it has been weird. 
but also adding to the show as it were because you know we don't necessarily want all these cars to be perfect we need a little yeah road uh road bumps in the way yeah and and it's interesting it's the road bumps that make the story uh and i think for last year the the story was really uh could the well first of all were the lmh cars going to be reliable and in the end we saw that it didn't matter if you were driving a toyota or a glickenhaus you managed to get to the end of the race which was very exciting for the glickenhaus team uh and also uh were toyota going to be challenged and we didn't really see that last year but something that is a feature of the lmh uh cars and the hypercar category uh is that there is a balance of performance applied in order to level the playing field and to discourage uh, spending on uh, on you know fight, chasing performance, uh, and this has been a, quite a talking point in the LMH category. Well, sorry, in the hypercar category uh, amongst fans, you know the idea that there's balanced performance at the top class of Lamar. It's not something that is necessarily universally enjoyed or universally liked, um, but what it does do is it creates situations wherein uh, each team has a way to push their own advantage. Uh, and as well, the complicating factor of having the LMP1 machine in the Alpine has really made it a very difficult act for the uh, for the organizers to actually balance all of these cars. So I know that you've done a lot of uh, number crunching in terms of looking at how the balance performance is applied to the hypercars and uh, how it all has worked out thus far this season. Uh, Can you explain to us what uh, factors the ACO and the organizers can modify and, and where they're kind of aiming for uh, in the, for the balance performance in this class? Yeah. So it's, it's quite, quite a difficult job they've got because we need to remember that these are all really different cars. Like, as you mentioned, the the, the grandfathered LMP1 is there from the Alpine, but then also the Glickenhaus is uh, a non-hybrid, so just a internal combustion engine powering just the rear wheels. Then you have the Toyota, which is a hybrid with the hybrid driving the front wheels. How you balance that? So previously in LMP1 days, that was like a hybrid, a boost from the hybrid punching out the corners. Now you got to imagine it as not a boost but as like a enhancing lift and coast at the end of a straight so um it's less of a less of a benefit to have um but the benefits will uh, other benefits we'll talk about later the parameters you can change um it's basically you have a total amount of fuel energy that you can use for a stint you've got maximum power output and then you've got your vehicle weight they're your main parameters um there are some uh, things that that can be forced onto you like for example um, i think they can change or give you bounds that you're not allowed to cross in terms of aerodynamic features so potentially front ride height and um, your adjustable aero device might be constrained to a specific number of settings yep. um, but yes the the main the three main things are stint energy uh, and power and weight um so these change uh, or can change race to race and uh, they have been to try and um yeah as you said equalize the performance on track it's very difficult again because of the inherent differences for the alpine because their fuel tank size um 
isn't big enough to have the fuel energy allocation per stint. So their stint lengths naturally are shorter. And uh, that brings a challenge in terms of them being equal on track. Well, to be equal on track than at the end of a race distance, then they would need to be faster per lap. And that's not going to happen. So from the Alpine's perspective, uh, watching them, they might like fall away. And just quickly, uh, just quickly, yeah. why, why, why is that not going to happen? If if the Alpine needs to make more fuel stops, then shouldn't it uh, be given a quicker car to compensate? Like, isn't that what well, it, balancing is? It happened at Sebring, and so I was qu- kind of happy with that. But they were too fast. Let's let's look at a whole stint. So a whole stint, including a pit stop, when they were out on track, running round and round and round. On average, they were. Uh, twice as good as what they were losing in the pit stop. Okay. So so um, the ACO got it slightly wrong then at Sebring. Yeah. So they should have halved that and and then it would have been pretty good with respect to the Alpine and the Toyota. But then um there's also the gap between the Glickenhaus and its competition and that's where a real challenge comes in because if we look at the weights and um and powers for example the weight of the glickenhaus is um i think near the minimum that it okay. can be yep or, or is at the minimum that it can be so it can't be made faster by making it lighter because i don't think it's running any ballast and then and you can't take any ballast when it's empty uh and yep. then in terms of power uh I think it's at the maximum that it can be already. So you can't make it more powerful because it's already at its max power. So <laughs> yeah. we're kind of stuck at the floor of the Glickenhaus pace. So we're kind of not necessarily dumbing down the class to, to bring it towards the Glickenhaus, but that's kind of where we have to be to be, yeah, trying to make a, 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 a balanced, uh, class at the front and the trouble with slowing down the class is you kind of bring it towards uh the the grasp of lmp2 which is something that we've never really seen uh until this new category um and the stratification um problems uh, as as we um have seen there have been lots of changes in the last few years to lmp2 yeah to try and slow those cars down uh to help out um which has helped but it has kind of pissed off yeah, quite a few people. Yeah, It's one of those things where, of course, the manufacturers want to be fighting for the overall and they don't want to have what does uh, what is effectively a spec series in terms of its drivetrain and its drivability um, as a direct competitor. So uh, when we talk about LMP2, we will mention the changes that have happened and where, where the pace was and where it is now. Um, but for the moment, it does mean that uh, the class, the LMH class, is in a bit of... Uh, not not a holding pattern, but it is running at basically as slow as it can, um, or as, uh, to to accommodate all of the competitors at the moment. And this is one of the issues that people have with balanced performance: uh, is that it basically means that a, a car that may not be as good as its competitors gets brought to the field. Um, so it, there is a, a question mark over whether or not that is a good thing. Um, but what it does do is it does control costs, which does encourage more entries, which we will see the fruition in the coming years. Uh, so we may mention about the balanced performance figures at 
Sebring um, that the Alpine probably had a bit too much pace to offset its pit stop, uh, its expected pit stops. Um, but what about at Spa-Francorchamps, the last round? The Alpine didn't win. That was a total win there at Spa-Francorchamps. It was, uh, was the balance performance a bit better there? Um, in terms of not having a car run away with it, yes, I guess. Um, but the, the result, um, in the changes between balance of performance parameters and the change in circuit uh characteristics um yeah the alpine was on average around uh, a second a lap slower in the dry so yeah uh they'd kind of gone a bit too far for the for the alpine there um and um yeah the glickenhaus wasn't as consistent they were on peak pace similar to the toyota um, but they just couldn't keep up. It wasn't perfect. It's never going to be perfect, but it gave us good insight into Le Mans because of the circuit characteristics being, you know, similar high-speed tracks. Yeah, and, and that is one of the big features of Le Mans, of course. The fact that you're hitting over 300 kilometers per hour five times in a lap in one of these machines is uh, something unique to this sort of racetrack. Uh, we have noticed uh, over the course of the last two years that uh, the Toyota seems to be uh, it seems to basically run like a, a slightly bloated prototype, like a slightly bro- bloated LMP1 car, that is. You know, it effectively looks like a prototype, acts like a prototype, and has that sort of pro- stability as a prototype. The Glickenhaus, on the other hand, looks like it's a bit of a handful. Uh, do you think over the course of a 24-hour race, even at a track like Le Mans, which the Glickenhaus seems to be more geared for, you know, the straight line sort of braking and acceleration sort of... Uh, factors um that do you think that the the uh the glickenhaus will keep track of the toyota or the toyota's just uh you know metronomic sort of pace and their team efficiency sort of take them away or, or will the hybrid even help in that yeah so um there's less of a benefit from as i mentioned before from having hybrid power, uh, power delivery but there is still a tangible benefit uh, a difference in performance so um you can uh deploy your front hybrid um at over a certain speed um which is a, a, a new rule in hypercar compared to lmp1 and um i think that's changed to 190 kph um, okay so that's and... that's pretty high though we we i remember that was a rule when lmp1 h first started so this is 23 14 sort of 2013 2014 sort of era but that was only 120 kilometers per hour uh that was the the floor so you could you kind of get that boost effect of the hybrid out of some of the slower corners almost 190 is very high up in the in the speed range to be then deploying your hybrid yeah so there are only a few corners that you can really get the benefit from this so basically what what happens is if you are cornering uh, at a high speed you 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 uh, and accelerating out of a corner you're putting load onto your rear um outside tire and so using this you can change the balance um by deploying your front energy to take some of that load off that rear tire and um if for example we're doing a clockwise circuit let's say the rear left is getting more load then that might be the one that's 
wearing out the fastest let's say mm. um and so if you can take load off that uh, worst tire then you, you're more likely to reuse it and with these pit stop rules um if you are able to reuse a tire then you uh, can save time in the pits because you can't change a tire and refuel at the same time so you might be able to have a a a double stint or triple stint where you basically just have to refuel and you don't have to then spend time changing wheels and tires. Um, and if Toyota can then take load from those rear tires and distribute them more evenly across the car, then you would be more likely to multi-stint. Yeah. You, you, you'd be more likely to multi-stint and, uh, save time in the pit lane. Um, and on the other hand, um, if to, uh, Glickenhaus are having to use more of their rear tyres, then they might have to change more often. And we've yeah. seen so we've, we've seen races. Sorry to cut you off there. We've seen races won and lost on exactly this sort of difference before. I think in 2011, uh, the Audis were less efficient on fuel, uh, so they were only doing 11 lap stints to Peugeot's 12. However, Audi could stretch their tyre stints. Uh, for four, uh, they could stretch their tires for four stints, which meant that, uh, over the course of a 24 hour race, they were doing a fuel and tire stop, I think four or five less times than the Peugeot's were, which is an extra 40 seconds each time. So in the end, the Audis were the, were the team, uh, that won that race in quite dramatic fashion. But part of that was because they had spent less time in the pits despite pitting more frequently. Yeah, for sure. And uh, also with this kind of enhanced lift and coast, um, we might see uh, an extra lap every stint or every other stint from the Toyotas compared to the other hypercars, especially the Alpines. So over uh, a full 24 hours, if you can save one pit stop, you know, that's a minute at least um, that you can save. So, and yeah, uh, there there are several... um, corners that are i think would be high enough um so we've got the s's at the start of the lap they're pretty high speed corners um tetra rouge is a very high speed corner mm. exit potentially the exits from the mulsanne chicanes and uh and then at the end of the lap the porsche curves um yeah, so that's, that's, that's plenty of opportunities for the, for the outside tires to sort of get a rest thanks to the hybrid boost as well. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that equates over the course of a race. Looking at the, the overall race, uh, as, as a whole, the hybrid's certainly going to play a factor. The Alpine, are we, are we seriously considering the Alpine as a challenger? I mean, I, I know we have to because Alpine are a very good team and they've, they've, uh, done well to win races in the WEC now, and they've uh, been winning in LMP2 competition for quite a long time prior to jumping into LMH. But are they going to be given a proper shot as a grandfathered car? Is that something that you, you see happening? I think they're going to fall away from fuel strategy. I think they're going to find it hard. They might have to you know, do a lot of lifting and coasting um, to try and eke out stint lengths um, to save potentially having to waste a pit stop it's going to be tough um they might be helped out by some safety cars as well um that might take some of the load off the fuel usage we'll have to see um it can all be you know how how it works with the the safety cars um creating big splits there's a potential for 
for creating big splits or bunching the field up. So anything can happen. Um, as we also mentioned before, it's a, also a, it's always a reliability race. Yeah. Um, and um, also, you know, no mistakes in the pits. Uh, senior tech who operate the the team, they're really professional. So, yeah, I think I think they they're in it to win it for sure. And then, what about Glickenhaus? Do do we see them mounting a proper challenge? Uh, their team hasn't been as uh, well drilled in the pits. Their car looks like it's a bit of a handful. Uh, do we are we expecting them to be a, a proper challenger? Yes, in terms of they proved uh, any doubts in reliability last season, last year at, at Le Mans. I still think there's potential more of a potential for mistakes in the pit lane let's say i don't want to wish bad luck on anyone they're still professional i mean it's yoast they've got a lot of history yeah. there um being professional at le mans i i still think that they are, are gonna potentially make some mistakes like with the tires um at spa francochamps they made some mistakes with the tire strategy and it's those sort of things that can completely break your race because the gaps between the cars are getting closer compared to what we've seen in the last few years. Um, that could make or break your race, just a decision, a split second decision like that. So, yeah, they would need to be perfect. And then Toyota, they've won here the last four times. Last year with the GR1010 that they're running this year as well. Uh, are they the unbackable favourites? Are they the team to beat? Yeah, I think I think they've got a pinky finger, um, you know, not on the trophy, but like reaching out really close, and <laughs> like they're they're re- they're <laughs> they're the ones to beat, obviously. Um, and, and that is that got the precedence. There. Is that even in spite of their recent um, reliability problems? I mean, well, Sebring the only thing. Yeah, Sebring is a bit of a an an odd case there because because that was accident damage, then caused a bigger accident. Um, But they they had they ran into some significant problems at Spa. So are we as sure? Yeah. So as you mentioned, Sebring was a driver error. There's going to be moments of chaos at Le Mans because you have a lot of uh, amateurs who aren't used to the WEC uh, in LMP2 as well. Um, so yeah, that's always going to be a factor. But I think that's the same for everyone. But yeah, the it's the first time we've seen like a proper problem for the um, Toyota LMH. Whether that happens again, we're gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, uh, it, that is the cloud that's over them at the moment and they've got to prove that themselves that they can do it reliably so so of those five cars then who's your pick to win ah good question um i'm gonna go with the seven i and that's the the mike conway kamui kobayashi jose maria lopez uh car i I I want to agree with you, but Lopez kind of scares me. And so uh, Lopez has a world touring car background. Um, he was, uh, I think, the uh, a world touring car racing champion um, before moving into the Toyota LMP1 team. And while he's a great driver and is very pacey, there are occasions in traffic 
where things go a little pear shaped, and that in fact is why uh, they he had the accident at Sebring was because he had an incident in traffic, um, which uh, he basically closed the door on a GT car a little too quickly, and they made contact and speared the Toyota off into the wall, which then caused further damage, uh, which then resulted in a bigger crash a bit later. So Lopez is the sort of fly in the ointment for me in that car. Um, I think the number eight car, the Boemi Hartley and Hirokawa car is a bit more uh, stable, I, I'll say. But on the other hand, I do want Mike Conway to win at Lamar because he has been the best. He won last year. I, I want him to win again. I want him to keep winning at Lamar because he's the best uh, Toyota driver that they have at the moment, I think. And that is a far cry from what I was saying, you know, if you go back into the archives of this podcast and listen to me talk about Mike Conway from four or five years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's when they had several problems uh, politically, let's say, um, and and mistakes in the pits. Um, Conway has been on paper, like, the fastest guy at Le Mans, like, the best guy for Le Mans. Um mm. And yeah, he'd missed out so many times. Uh, Jose Marino Lopez last year proved lots of doubters wrong with the win. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go with the seven. You're going to go with seven? Okay, I will agree with you on that one then. I'll I'll be brave. Uh, So that's the LM... Sorry, no, that's the hypercar class, which consists of four LMH cars (laughs) and a asterisk LMP1. And I'm constantly going to get that wrong. Also in the race is the LMP2 category, uh, which is the second tier of prototypes. Uh, and we've got 27 cars, 27 cars in the LMP2 category. That's effectively a whole grid just in itself. It's it's wild the number of LMP2 entrants that we get to see on track. And the, the cool thing about the LMP2 category specifically, and also GTM, which we'll talk about in another podcast, is that it brings together some of the best teams from not just those entered in the WEC, but those entered in the European Le Mans series, those who've come over from the Asian Le Mans series and winning that championship, uh, and also those who have uh, made waves in the LMP3 championships in a uh, European Le Mans series, uh, the Le Mans Cup, and uh, in uh, other championships around. It's really a big melting pot of some of the best prototype racing and the best prototype teams that we've got around the world. And Ollie, 27 cars, that's a huge number. Yeah, I mean, when you get to hear all of those Gibson engines going, it's like a, lit- it's, it's a literal swarm of... of- p2s buzzing around um so so give us a bit yeah, of a, a brief on on what the lmp2 car a class is what what's the car what's the sort of philosophy here right so um uh, lmp2 is a a spec um class a spec category of four different cars that you can buy to go racing the design is fixed so it's a really economical way to be really really fast um <laughs> you can have uh either an Oracle 07 uh a Ligier JSP217 which are the two cars um that we've got here and then there's a Riley that no one drives uh, for good reason and a Dallara that no one drives for good reason so yeah all of them bar one are an Oracle 07 um and one of them is a Ligier they all have the same powertrain um which uh, before LMP2 before 2017 there was um, a lot more variety in engines and a lot of people 
liked that, but um, I think Gibson have proven the doubters wrong in terms of um, reliability uh, for these engines because they've been bulletproof. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, uh, I think the teams love it because it's it's a it's a really economical way to go racing. And there are so many of these cars out there. There have been now a hundred Orica 07s built, like for a race for a sport a racing sports car that is insane that's numbers. that's astounding yeah that's uh, it's quite an impressive achievement i think there's also been now 50 gibson engines in rotation so i think they get leased on a mileage basis uh, to the teams and then get returned after that lease period to be refurbished to then be released um and they're what they're 4.2 liter gibson v8 engines that produce something like what is it, 650 horsepower in a, in a car that weighs uh, something like 900 kilos? They're incredible bits of kit, and uh, they've proven to be, as you said, uh, incredibly reliable as well. I don't think I've ever actually seen a LMP2 car with an engine blow up. Like, I, I don't think I, 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 I can't think of any, any that's happened, and that's been five years now that these, this class has been operating. Can, can you recall an instance? Um, we've we've seen a few cars shut down on track, and that was a, a, a key feature of the first year of this formula, where we had a few electronic glitches causing cars to shut down randomly, and then getting back into it. I don't but... think they've spectacularly gone. Yeah, I don't think there have been many spectacular failures. I think, in terms of engine, um, there have been spectacular failures for other things other like electronics. Yeah. Um, but that's not a Gibson thing, mm. I don't think. Um, that's a Cosworth thing. So, uh, so I can't think of an engine explosion. No, neither can I. Um, so there's there's quite a few different sort of areas that these cars have come from. So a few of these teams are entered in the WC full season. Uh, so they, if you're watching along the entry list, they have a WC written next to them. A few of them have won entries, either from winning the European Le Mans series or winning the uh, LMP3 class in the European Le Mans series or doing the same thing in the Asian Le Mans series. Um, or they've been given a specific invite uh, for uh, for being an awesome team and being invited to the event. Um, there is a team here that have been allowed to bring in an additional car because they won last year's event. Um, so if you're looking at the Wikipedia uh, version of the entry list, you'll see a 24LM sort of entry next to them, and that's uh, that's where they've get, that entry has come from. Um, there's also two subclasses, well, a subclass in this class as well, which we'll talk about, uh, and that relates back to the driver rating system, uh, which is apparent in these cars. One of the rules about the LMP2 category is that it's a, technically, nominally, it's a pro-am category um wherein you must have one driver of your three which is a amateur rated driver an fia amateur driver so that means it's uh, they have a silver or a bronze rating uh just quickly ollie uh in two sentences explain what a silver silver rating driver silver rated driver looks like okay so um driver rankings are a way of um equalizing well it's not really but um uh quantifying we'll putting, say quant- putting yeah breaking down drive uh, ranges of driver talent into specific boxes yeah I think i'll go with that yeah so a, a, sil- a silver or a bronze driver will be generally generally not always true very clearly not always true uh 
A bronze driver will be generally slower than a silver, who will generally be slower than a gold, who is generally slower than a platinum. Uh, so uh, if you're not familiar with those terms, uh, that's kind of a brief TLDR. Um, your platinum drivers will be like people who you could see driving in F1, and your bronze drivers are people you would pull out off the street, like, you know, supermarket owners and inventors of coding systems and stuff like that. Um which you may laugh, but, you know, both of those drivers, both of those types of people have raced at this race. Uh, and in fact, one of them is on the entry list today. Uh, a few, a few important notes before we start looking into the drivers. Um, this category also has a spec tire. It's a Goodyear tire that's run in the WEC and the ELMS. Not in Asian Le Mans series, question mark? Yeah. I think they, they run on Michelin's. In the Asian Le Mans series. So what does that mean for the teams that have been racing in the European Le Mans series or in the WEC compared to those who have maybe won their entries from the Asian Le Mans series then? So I think the only team that would be stuck um, in with with no prior knowledge would be CD Sport um, because they have previously come from LMP3 um, and... I don't think they're racing in LMP2 anywhere else. So um, it will be very, it will be a very steep learning curve for them. Nielsen racing, I think, are running in ELMS at the moment. So they will have uh, competition experience with the race tyre that they're going to be using at the 24 hours. Previously, I think there was a, a crossover period where the t- the tyres for ELMS were different to the tyres at Le Mans. Um, but it, it means that every there's kind of a, a, a level playing field between, for example, the ELMS teams and the WEC teams uh, yep. in terms of they know what what they're working with, the tools they're working with. Yeah, and, and there's quite a few teams that have made the step up from the ELMS into the WEC, and there's quite a few teams that are still racing in the ELMS um, that have made the trip this time around to Le Mans. And what we're going to do is we're going to break the entry list into sort of three kind of groups. So there's there's a, a group of strong favourites who will be looking for the overall victory with these cars. There's a group of maybe what you'd call the dark horses or the outsiders, you know, uh, teams that a top 10 would be an achievement, but also there could be an outside, uh, outside shot of a victory. And we've seen uh, a few teams come from this group uh, and get on the podium or be uh, real big players in the race over the course of the race. And then there's the set of teams and drivers that are for them to get to Le Mans in itself is a bit of an achievement and a lot of those cars as well are running in the pro-am category uh, because they feature bronze rated drivers so there's an entirely separate subcategory for those teams that are racing with bronze drivers um, just because uh, there's only been I think two ever uh, victories for a LMP2 team with a bronze rated driver behind the wheel. Uh, so if you if you have a bronze rated driver, you're quite clearly handicapping yourself compared to the other teams. So they made this whole new category for them to to sort of have something to fight for, which I think is a really really good thing. It kind of keeps them interested in a prize as well as keeps us interest invested in them earning something as well. Yeah, it, it's great for their like social media and for the person who's paying the bills to kind of have a higher uh, uh, well a lower number um but higher up the field that they can kind of put on their instagram saying oh yeah i came second 
in was in a few <laughs> years ago they would have been like yeah oh, yeah i was ninth so <laughs> uh they've got something that they've they can brag about to their millionaire mates i guess um that's a, a bit more impressive exactly right um so shall we crack into it Where do we, which subgroup do we want to start with first i'll well, start at the top i guess or well, what we think would be the top well, I, I think, well, let's let's start with the top. Let's start with the team that currently leads the World Endurance Championship then, and that is the number, uh, the 31 WRT team. The, th- the WRT actually bring along three cars uh, for this year's Le Mans. Two of them, they've entered in the WEC full season, and then they've got a third car as part of uh, winning Le Mans last year. Uh, and they were very, so excited excruciatingly close to taking a 1-2 last year as well uh, in their Le Mans debut, in their Le Mans debut, were it not for a, some sort of issue that I've forgotten that ended up being a non-issue after the race. They failed on the last lap from the lead uh, to to lose that race. It was a throttle. Thank you very much, James Racing Geek in the live chat. Um, so they, they bring along the three cars. The current championship leader is the number 31 with uh, Sean Galeo, Robin Frines, and Rene Rass. Sean Galeo, uh, the silver driver, the amateur rated driver, of course, a former single-seater uh feeder series driver and has a lot of sponsorship from uh kfc in indonesia uh the other two driver teams uh sorry the other two cars uh real team by wrt are also racing the full season w uh, wec the 41 car with uh rui andrade as the number uh, as the silver and then uh ferdinand habsburg lothringen yes that is habsburg as in the family habsburg as in the royal family habsburg uh and norman nato um two gold rated drivers in that car so maybe a bit less pace overall uh, and then the additional car for this event is the number 32 car which features silver driver Rolf and Nikon, which is a name that we'd know um, from racing particularly Lamborghinis uh, as a silver driver uh, and and of course uh, Audis nowadays as well um, as well as Mirko Bortolotti and Dries Vantor two drivers from the WIT stable uh f- which have a, a lot of experience behind them. In fact, I think Dries Vantor's car just won the Nürburgring 24, like just last week. Yeah, this is insanely strong. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so, so straight off the bat, three cars from WRT, and they're, they're not messing around. We, we saw we saw them come into the European Le Mans series in the WC last year and blow everyone away, and it looks like they they want to do the same again. Yep. <laughs> yep. Simple as that. So of those three cars, who do you reckon is the, 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 the best team, you know, the best car? Who, who's the one that you'd put your money on? It's difficult because the 32 is, it has all of the top, the biggest names kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it's untested in terms of like, who are the crew behind it? How much experience have they got? Um, are they going to have the best mechanics or are the best mechanics going to go to the WEC team, the 31, the, the main WEC team? Um, yeah. yeah, I think I think it's between the 31 and 32. The 32 is like a, a big honeypot that's going <laughs> to attract a lot of attention, but I, I'm not sure. It's it's difficult as well because, you know, while you look at the names Bortolotti and Vantor and you think, whoa, those guys are absolute machines in GT cars, 
it doesn't the, the the driving skill the driving talent doesn't necessarily translate to prototypes we've seen certain drivers do it certainly um we've seen guys like Rene Rast and uh, Robin Fryens be very quick in prototypes after being quick in GT cars. But on the other hand, we've seen the opposite happen, where a, a GT prodigy cannot get the handle on a prototype car the same way. Uh, and as well, you know, while the 32 has the star power, so does the 31. You know, Robin Fryens and Rene Rast are like crazy quick drivers, and so is Sean Galeo. Yeah, and, you know, if you just look at the standings of... of- FIWC, they're doing pretty well. And, and as well, and, and that's not to forget the, the number 41 car, the real team by WIT car. That's currently third in the WEC standings after taking a, a pair of podiums so far. So there, there's quality all around in that team as well. Uh, yeah, uh, Ferdy Habsburg is, is pretty quick. He's been really impressing me. And Norman Lato is, yeah, he's really, really, really quick. So. So, so straight off the bat, three three cars definitely to watch for. Uh, what about uh, the the Prema car? The Prema car has been impressive in the European Le Mans series, uh, taking a pair of victories, if I'm not mistaken. I hope I'm not mistaken. Someone's going to remind me in the live chat in just about a second. Um, but they haven't quite been as successful in the WEC. For the Le Mans 24 Hours, they're running with uh, Lorenzo Colombo as their amateur, their silver rated driver. Uh, and then adding to that, Louis Delatraz and Robert Kubica, who was with the WRT team last year. Uh, so this is another car that has kind of jumped into the four and been very sort of publicized and uh, has, you know, had a lot of attention. Um, and they've, they've made good use of it in the European Le Mans series, but it hasn't gone their way in the WC just yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they've been, they've been really, really, really impressive in ELMS, um, like wiping the floor uh, with a lot of competition. Um, so, yeah, I think they're one to watch. I'm not sure about Kubica, to be honest. Uh, he might be holding them up a little bit, but um, their uh, amateur driver Colombo is really fast, so they'll make more than make up for it. Yeah, and just for context, I was right in saying that they've been bossing the, the European Le Mans series after two races, two two races in the European Le Mans series. They hold a twenty three point lead. You get twenty five points for a victory. They hold a twenty three point lead after two races. Yeah, that's ridiculous. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Um, Another team that's going to have a lot of media attention. Well, in fact, there's going to be two teams that will have a lot of media attention for for just simply for the names behind the teams. One of them is Team Penske, the number five car, which features Dane Cameron, uh, Felipe Nasser, and Emmanuel Collard as the silver driver in that team. Uh, And then the Vector Sport team, uh, which has Sebastian Bourdais as its headline driver alongside Nico Muller and Ryan Cullen. Now, the Penske is an interesting sort of uh, car at the moment. Uh, they're leaving the series after this race uh, to focus on the development of the Porsche LMDH car, which is currently undergoing testing. They really have taken this season just as a, a, a dress rehearsal for what's to come when they join Porsche next year, haven't they? Yeah, it it's kind of the same as what they did for DPI as well. Um, when they ran an Orica at Petit Le Mans, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's a shame that they're leaving, but they're moving on to bigger and better things. 
and as well, they they haven't just melded in either. They've they've really worked hard with Emmanuel Collard, who's a a long term driver in the WEC and a long term LMP two. Well, uh, yeah, long term LMP two driver has a lot of experience at Le Mans. Is he currently the person with the 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 active driver with the most Le Mans starts? Yes, I think so. Uh, how many is it? Twenty three. I think it's twenty. I, I it's it would be it's twenty six. We've got uh from the live chat. Thank you, Johan. Uh, and I think something like twenty of them were consecutive, and then he missed one year um because he got dropped from the driver lineup that he was racing with. So it's uh they they really have yeah oof right um they've really gone hard with the development but they haven't really gotten the results unfortunately uh what about the vector sports car uh Bordet and nico muller two very accomplished uh platinum drivers ryan cullen where would we've encountered ryan cullen before so ryan cullen he owns the the chassis so he is someone that's bringing the money and um he has uh previously run with several LMP2 teams. Um, I think this chassis is raced with Rizzi. It's raced, uh, he's raced with United. Um, yeah, s- several, several teams. He, yeah. And, and I, I think this is a good example of a car that's got the big name drivers, but hasn't really performed kind of a bit the same with Penske, uh, to be honest. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can make a step up um, after learning from Sebring and Spa. But um, not so sure in terms of being at the bleeding edge of performance for these guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think of those two, we'd probably say the Penske car is a little more uh, fearsome. Um, but you know, it's hard to write off a team which has you know a two platinums in it. Exactly. Uh, we'll move on. To, you, you mentioned United Autosports, and United Autosports are really one of the 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 stalwart teams of LMP2. There was a period of time where they won, I think it was every race for almost two seasons straight. They won something like 14 LMP2 races in a row um, across the European Le Mans Series and the WEC. Uh, so they're certainly a team that has some incredible experience and some incredible willing winning experience. Um, it hasn't quite gone their way this year, um, but with their two driver lineups, the 22 featuring Phil Hansen, Felipe Albuquerque, and William Owen, and the 23 featuring Alexander Lynn, Oliver Jarvis, and Joshua Pearson, who will be the youngest person in the Le Mans field when he starts on Saturday. Uh, They've kind of taken a little bit of a different tack. They're looking more to develop these drivers as opposed to win outright. And Ollie, I I wanted to pose this question to you. Is United the force that it was two seasons ago? Yes. Like, they're here to win. Yeah. They're not here to teach them how to drive. Like, they know what they're doing. Because Josh Pearson, he was too young at the start of uh, Asian Le Mans series because he was 15. Yeah, so he wasn't yeah. allowed to to drive a car uh, until mid season, uh, and then turned up and did really well. I think we were um, kind of spoilt by having United at the at the tip of the mountain, as it were. But now we've just brought lots of other teams up 
to their level and it's yeah. kind of they're kind of getting lost in it yeah um, I, I, that is a very good way of putting it they they were the pinnacle but now there's five other mountains around them yeah yeah and you it's difficult um when the when the camera is always following the leader even though they're like a second behind they might be out of shot kind of thing mm. so we're not necessarily focusing on them but they they they're right there and they have some ridiculous talent again in their cars and, and i i gotta say as well the development particularly of phil hansen has been one of united autosports's massive success stories the the fact that they had this driver that started off as a silver and they were working with to develop and won lamar with and was quite impressive and then he got upgraded to gold and was immediately on the pace of some of the pro drivers around him like his first race as a gold driver he was leading overall ahead of the lmh cars so uh he's he's certainly a driver a, a huge success story uh at that United Autosport has managed to put together. Uh, it's actually been the the 23 car that has had the better of success for this season so far. The 23 took the victory at Sebring with Josh Pearson behind the wheel to make him the youngest ever WC race winner in class, which is a pretty exciting story. Uh, of those two cars, who do you reckon's got the better chance of taking an overall win for the Le Mans 24, do you reckon? I think I'm going to go with the 23 um there's a lot of experience for the 22 but i still kind of have this weird thing where i'm reading phil hansen's name and i'm putting silver next to it <laughs> like it's not justified but when i look at phil hansen compared to his previous driver lineup where he had two platinums either side either side of him yeah kind of thing on the entry list it does take some of the shine off as it were so you got, it's kind of like looking at Phil and comparing him with like Paul DeResta or yeah. someone else. Um, it's yeah. difficult. Um, like I'm, it, I don't want to be mean, but that's the the kind of oh, oh no, you, you're entirely he's, correct. He's, he's either side that you know that's the circles that he's now uh, comparing himself against, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's, you're doing a pretty good job if you're getting compared to former F1 drivers. I'm going to say. Uh, I oh, I don't want to agree, but I tend to agree. The fact that you've got Jarvis and Lynn next to each other, it doesn't, and a competent silver in that, as in Pearson as well, it, it makes it very hard to turn away from that. So I reckon the the twenty three, uh, but at this point we're basically splitting hairs between those two cars. Truth be told, yeah, and I think you know we'll see how Josh Pearson drives at night because you know past his bedtime little little guy, <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, maybe a few unknowns with him, um, but uh, we'll see. Should be good. Absolutely. Uh, another stalwart of LMP2 racing is Joda Sport. Uh, they've, uh, well, it's, it's just Joda now. I keep forgetting. Yeah, just Jota. Just Jota. Okay, it's Jota. Um, bringing along two cars again. Uh, we have seen them in the past win uh, at Le Mans in the Mighty 38, the, the Zytec uh engine with the Zytec machine that ran for so long in LMP2. Uh, this time, of course, they're in the, the Orica 07, like everyone else, except for CD Sport. Uh, bring along two cars, the 28, uh, Oliver Rasmussen, Edward Jones, and Jonathan Aberdeen in that car. And then the 38, the mighty 38, Roberto Gonzalez, Antonio Felix da Costa, and Will Stevens. So to me, it looks like 
the, they're putting all their eggs into kind of one basket here. You know, I, I, I look at Rasmussen Jones and Aberdeen and I'm not struck with the same sort of firepower that I've seen with their Joda sports efforts in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good way to describe it, to be honest. Um, and especially when you look at, you know, a car with two platinums. And, and and two Platinums in, you know, one of them is a former F1 driver. The other one is basically should be an F1 driver in Antonio Felix Costa. And a, a silver driver who is a WEC champion in his own right. I think Roberto Gonzalez won the uh, WEC LMP2 championship in 2016 uh, with RGR, M- RGR Morant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm blanks there i i uh, i've got my i've got my spotter's guide right next to me i'll excuse me while i just just whip it out and find the answer to my own question um it was in fact rgr sport by moran so i got close <laughs> um but he was driving actually in that car with uh bruno senna and felipe albuquerque who was now driving with united order sports so uh, a bit of continuity there uh joda have been a team that has won races. They've been on the LMP2 streak. They've been called the Evil Empire by us in the past. Do they have what it takes to continue that trend this this race? The way I would describe them is like they you you'd say they'd get a podium, but not necessarily you'd say oh they're going to win. Yeah, I think they're, that's how I would describe them. Yeah, they they they're really strong without the sort of flavored cutting edge that kind of makes you go ooh like yeah, yeah like for example the w- wrt cars all of our, both of us went ooh that's a car that could win whereas uh, you don't quite feel that same way with with the um with the joda cars the last car that we want to talk about in this group of potential race winners is the number 83 af corsa car now this is a super duper interesting car this car is the GTE AM championship winning car from last year. Was it also the GTE AM Le Mans winning car from last year? Now you're talking. Yeah. I think so. Someone in the live chat can look that up for us. But the interesting thing about this car is that it has the same driver lineup uh, as it had last year when it did win Le Mans. Thank you for uh, Giles in the uh, in the live chat the, to confirm that for me. Um, but they've had a, a change in driver ratings, which has meant that they've actually been uprated uh, so they couldn't run in GTM with the same driver lineup. Now, this is also a pro-am car. And the reason we're talking about it as a, a potential race winner is because the quality of the bronze driver is, is so high that it's impossible to write off as a car that can't do well. If they do a good job of getting Francois Perotto, who is the bronze driver. If they get a good job of managing his drive time in a way that means he doesn't lose time to the rest of the field, the likes of Nicholas Nielsen and of Alessio Rivera are not at all unlikely to keep that car in contention. So the the number 83 car, you, it's impossible to miss. It has this crazy chrome livery on it. Um, it, it. It'd be a long shot to be sure, but it's certainly a car that, would be a favourite uh, to take to take the pro am category and probably place well overall. Yeah, I think you, you described it well. Like Perodo is he's a good good bronze driver, like solid. But every lap, a bronze driver is going to be losing a second or two, or a handful of seconds each lap. And sure, you're 
with the pros that he's sharing the car with their caliber it'd still be quite difficult uh especially when some of the other silvers in the other cars are kind of they shouldn't be silvers <laughs> so in terms of the overall win it's going to be difficult they're going to need like maybe some help from reliability from other cars and also maybe some uh safety car intervention that's kind of thing but yeah it's going to be one to look out for um to see how high up a pro am car can get up the p2 category we're we're about halfway through where we want to be so we're going to take a quick break here uh we'll be back in just a moment with the rest of the lmp2 field This podcast is proudly supported by The Racing Line. The Racing Line is a motorsport calendar and notification app for iPhones and iPads. It includes all major series, with more being added all the time, giving you a daily and weekly list of races so you can easily see what's coming up. All events are converted to your local time zone, so you no longer have to faff around, adding or taking away hours to work out start times in your area. Finally, it also lets you customise notifications for events so you can choose when you're notified about certain race series. The app is available on the iOS App Store. Just search for The Racing Line. Find out more at www.theracingline.app. Now, back to the podcast. And welcome back to the second part of the prototype rundown for the Le Mans 24 hours. I've still got Ollie with me. Say hello, Ollie. Hello. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about now the, the teams and drivers that, that make up the rest of the field of the LMP2 class. Now these, uh, we, we might call them the, calling them the also rands is not quite fair because we have seen teams that we've written off in the past actually jump up and make some really good positions and place really high in the the final rundown of things so you know these are the teams that might have a bit more of a a story behind their arrival to the event and you know to be at the event is part of a part of the achievement for them but they should also be considered as genuine race winners in some cases because they've got the quality behind them so uh we're going to be talking about i think seven cars in this group seven or eight cars um which is interestingly uh a a pair of cars from a single team and then a bunch of different french outfits and we'll we'll have a bit of a a discussion on to why that might be the case uh, when we get to that but we'll start with the inter-europol cars the the pair of inter-europol cars uh the 34 is the full season entry which features um the man behind into Europe, or at least the, the racing side of things, Jakub Tmaikowski, who's the silver rated driver, and he's driving with Alex Brundle and Esteban Gutierrez. Uh, and then the sister car, the entered car, um, is the number 43, which has David Hennemeyer Hansen, the, the inventor of Ruby on Rails, uh, alongside Fabio Scherer and Pietro Fittipaldi. So a, a formidable quartet of pro drivers and two very good am drivers as well ollie uh the the bakers as they're affectionately known uh they've come uh, come along in leaps and bounds since they've moved on from the the ligier that they used to run uh, are they considered a, a proper contender nowadays yeah it, it's they've had a weird kind of rise um i guess that's a bread pun <laughs> um and uh yeah so they they started off like kind of just being a middling team 
Ligier, the rise that they've had um, up the ranks in terms of quality of, of co-drivers that they've they've got um, is is crazy. Um, and it, yeah, it's good to see because it's kind of like a little team that could, and then now they can kind mm. of thing. Yeah, absolutely. We, we we saw them. I think last year they they finally hit their stride and started to take a more consistent points at the, the the pointy end of the field. I think they had a, a trio of fifth places, which might not sound like much, but in a in a you know in a class where we've mentioned a, a litany of former Formula One drivers and IndyCar drivers and you know that sort of thing, uh, taking a, a group of, of fifth places is quite quite an achievement. Um, they haven't quite had the rub of the green so far this season. I think. Uh, the in the WEC, the number thirty-four car has had a pair of DNFs, um, including a, a crash last time out at Spa, uh, and then uh, the number forty-three, which is the car that races in the European Le Mans series, also picked up a DNF at Paul Ricard in the first round of the season. Uh, so they haven't quite had it all their own way, but. Uh, this is one of those those cool little stories. It's a, it's a it's a team sponsored by a bakery in Poland that is yeah has been a, a stalwart of LMP3 and has stepped up into LMP2 and is you know continuing to to grow and to 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 rise as you've said. So uh, look for them to to be in the mix and very hard to miss uh, a very uh, distinct. Uh, yellow and green livery on that car as well. Uh, now we've got the the quintet of French teams uh, making their uh, race, well, making their way to race at Le Mans. And just a quick note, uh, Ollie, French, uh, the French like to keep things in house, don't they? <laughs> uh, it's a French race, and they they want to celebrate their their nation, I guess. Their, their Frenchiness, uh, driving French cars with. Lots of French drivers, the big French flag on the front, and lots of cars of red, white, and blue. Yeah. Uh, like, I totally get it, but also, it is just a bit French, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, you know, yeah, it becomes a bit of a meme, and we, we mention it every single time. But, like, again... Some of these teams have had really, really good results. I think, like, Graf Racing last year took a surprise podium uh, as a French team that no one was... Not that, that no one was taking it seriously, but no one had really pinged it on the radar of teams that could win, and they were up the front all week. Yeah, for sure. Like, they're, they're always there. Um, and, yeah, it's it's good to see. So we'll, we'll start breaking a few of these down. The first one off the rank is the number one car, the Richard Mill Racing Team car. Now, this has got uh, three very interesting stories in its three drivers. So firstly, it is uh, a driver, uh, sorry, it is a car which has uh, the first female on the entry list, and that is uh, Lilu Wado, um, and she has been driving that car so far this season. Uh, secondly, uh, the gold-rated driver in that car is Charles Malesi, who is a... Young driver, a, a German and French F4 champion who might be one of my favorite young drivers at the moment. He kind of burst onto the scene, the WEC, driving for, oh, I think it was that Graf Racing team from two seasons ago and just blew everyone away with his pace. So keep your eyes on Charles Malesi. That's a name that's going to come up a lot. And then uh, the platinum in that car, the third driver, is... Uh, a rally champion, Sebastian Ogier. So there's quite a quite a lot of stories packed into one car. Yeah, I don't watch rallying much, so 
I don't know, he's just some French guy. <laughs> wow. Okay. Ollie's not making any friends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who is he? <laughs> oh, oh, don't you actually? He's he's like the 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 follow on from Sebastian Loeb. So uh, he he is yeah. like is this the same guy? Like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Making friends. <laughs> um, he, he has something like fifty four rally victories. Ollie, did you know that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I knew he was good. <laughs> But uh, that's with cars with very little grip. Uh, how's he doing with a car with a lot of grip? That is a great question. And if you look at the season so far for that car, it's uh, they didn't finish at Sebring. Uh, ran into a problem there. And they finished down the order at the tail end of the top 10 at Spa-Francorchamps. So not quite as impressive as they would have wanted, but either way, that car is going to have a lot of media attention. And, you know, Ogier isn't the first to transition from, uh, you know, gravel to tarmac. I mean, that's something they do a lot of the time in rally. Anyway, forgetting that, um, Sebastian Loeb actually also did a similar sort of thing where he raced in uh, the Le Mans 24 Hours with Pescarolo Sport, I believe it was. So, again, OJ's just copying uh, Loeb, the cooler Sebastian, clearly. It's the same guy. <laughs> it's just a, an alter ego. Um, so that's the, the Rick and Mule racing car. What, what are we expecting for that car? Are we expecting a, 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 a challenge for an overall placing? Yeah, I think I think it depends uh, how Wadu... Uh, Wadu's? Does, uh, yeah, how... how um, yeah... How does Wadu do in the car? That's what I was thinking. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, Milesi is probably going to carry that car a lot. Um, he's probably going to do the bulk of the driving because he's really, really, really good. Um, I don't know. I think they're going to be uh, midfield. Midfield? Uh, we uh, yeah. Sneaking them into the top 10, do you reckon? Yeah, May- yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just yeah. slip them in there, slip them into 10th place, which would be equal, no, just behind their the best result for the Ricardo Mule Racing Team. I think they took a ninth in their first outing at Le Mans, so uh, hopefully we'll get to see something similar to that. Uh, a team that you've uh, commented on in the past that you've quite liked is the Duquesne team, the number 30 car, uh, this year being run with Richard Bradley, Mamo Rojas, and Rashad Digueris, who's a name that I have not ever seen before, so I can't tell you anything about them. Uh, but Bradley and Rojas is a, an interesting pairing, a lot of experience um, in those two names, uh, but not quite the same sort of outright pace that we'd see at the, the front of the field, I don't think. Yeah, and I think the same... From Rissajajeris, um, I think they, that's the lineup in ELMS. I'm not sure on that, um, but yeah, I think they're a small team that uh, could do quite well punching above their weight. Um, I remember they had uh, Roman Dumas one year. That was kind of like the well, who are these guys that have got Roman Dumas? Yeah, um, and. I think they had a puncture from the lead in class or something like that. So, yeah, I think these are the guys that you kind of, the little team that you pull for to, to punch above their weight. 
and, and it's a team as well that have taken on a big engineering challenge in uh, making a LMP3 chassis, taking over that tender from Norma. Um, so it, it's quite a, quite a large engineering uh, operation behind that team, but the race team itself is is actually quite small. So uh, it's good to see them making the grid again. Uh, another one of the, the French outfits is Cool Racing. What a cool team that is. Uh, the, the brainchild of... Uh, Nicolas Lapierre, or at least the, the, the money child of Nicolas Lapierre, um, who's racing, of course, with Alpine in the LMH category. Uh, no, in the hypercar category. Uh, <laughs> uh, cool racing. Uh, Yifeye is uh, driving in this car alongside Ricky Taylor, who would, people would know as a driver in the IMSA sports car championship. And they've got, uh, their silver driver is Nicholas Cruton. I'm not familiar with, with Croton as a, uh, a silver driver. Um, but Yifeye and Ricky Taylor, Yifeye, I think, is on the, the fast track to a Porsche factory drive, um, being managed by Patrick Pile. And, and Ricky Taylor is, you know, one of the, the Taylor brothers who have won plenty of races in various, uh, f- forms of IMSA classes and malarkey that goes on over there. Uh, what's your, what's your read on Croton in this car? I don't know. Like, I thought he was a bronze from, like, P3. Maybe he got uprated last year. Um, but I think this is, like, one of the ELMS cars that will be, like, where did they come from kind of thing with their... Because they've got, you know, two drivers that are tipped to do LMDH stuff. So, yeah, the, these are some names to, to look out for. Uh, for future stuff. Uh, this car as well has uh, taken a podium in the European Le Mans series. Or we've, we've seen them take an overall win in... Well, not an overall win. That would be incredible. A, a, a class win in the WEC before. Uh, are we... Do we think Cool Racing is a cool, is, is, is cool? Are, are we on board with, with, with them being cool? I think this is, might be their best uh, result. Um because they did have a silver and a bronze yeah. um, in the past. Um, and it was kind of a bit that they had a, a Alexandre Corny and as a bronze. And it would kind of be insane having Nico Lapierre. And they had a super silver. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, and then Antonin Borger. Uh, yeah. And, and then Corny would get in the car and naturally, you know, do bronze stuff. So it would be cool to see this team um a bit more competitive all round um when you look at their driver li- driver uh, lineup as a whole mm. um so yeah it could be quite cool uh I am impressed by the amount of times you managed to squeeze cool into that description. Very well done. Uh, IDEX Sport is the next one we want to take a peek at, the number 48 car. So this has uh, Paul Lafargue, Paul Luc Chatin, and Patrick Pillay, a trio of... Uh, French a trio of French drivers all starting with the letter P, which is quite in quite quite something. I got to say, uh, these guys are, are basically Le Mans stalwarts. I think Lafargue and Paul Chatin have raced together uh, for a while, or raced around each other for a while. But they're certainly names that get a, a lot of track time at Le Mans. Um, I, in fact, I think this driver lineup raced uh, entirely uh, is carried over entirely from last year, which is uh, uh, pretty good. Uh, do you know off the top of their head how they did last year? No. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for putting you on the spot because I don't know the answer to that question. Um, 
in saying that though, Patrick Pile is a former Porsche factory driver. I'm not sure if he's still associated with the brand. Um, Paul Lafargue is a, quite a competent silver driver. Th- these guys would be wouldn't be it wouldn't be too unreasonable to say maybe they've got an outside shot at certainly a top ten, maybe even further up. Yeah, I think they're a solid team. Like IDEC, they won the ELMS Championship a few years ago with um, some of these drivers. Uh, I think it was Lafargue. Yeah, mm. it's a good team behind them. Um, it's just kind of got maybe a bit lost in the last three years of super teams kind of thing. Mm. Um, it's a team with big history. It's a pretty good lineup. So I think they'll do above average. So for, for context, these guys finished sixth last year. So, you know, quite quite a, a, a decent uh, result for them. I I might I might go out on a limb and say this could snag a podium if the conditions are right. Do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. If yeah. We're feeling it. We're feeling it. Um, what about the, the number 65 Panis racing uh, car? The penultimate car on the entry list for the LMP2 category. Uh, Julian Canal, Nicola Jamin, and Job van Oetert, uh, a, a Dutch driver which we've been tracking for quite a number of years now uh, as a, an impressive, used to be a silver and now upgraded to gold. Um, Nicola Jamin, Julian Canal, two drivers are... Uh, I think local is is it Julian Canal who owns the McDonald's on Mulsanne Corner? Is that the one? Uh, not Mulsanne Corner, but on along the Mulsanne Strait by the uh, MMA Arena. Um, so yes, he owns a, a McDonald's franchise within the confines of the circuit. And yeah, impossible to miss that car. Has the golden arches on it. When that car was racing against the KFC car last year, did get very hungry. Was a bit weird. Um, they have had some really, really good results in the past. I think uh, that car finished third last year, but with an entirely different driver lineup. You know, with Julian Canal driving alongside James Allen and Will Stevens. Not quite the same fear in the driver lineup with Nicola Jamin and Job van Oetert. This time around, would you say? Not so much. Job van Aert is like really bloody quick. Yeah. So, and Jamin knows how to wheel a car. And Julian Canal is not bad. So, as as a silver. So, I think, yeah, I think it's a similar way I would describe them to like the Richard Mill, where I think they could do top 10. Top 10? Just sneak in there. Yeah. The, the, the problem is the top 10 becomes very crowded very quickly when we start talking yeah. about these teams. Uh, and that, that's that's kind of why you can't write out any of these teams either because, you know, on their day, if things go well, they could all find their way into a position where they can affect the result. You know, if they get into the last two or three hours and they're only... Uh, if they're on the lead lap, they're only a lap away from the, the class lead and Job van Oetert is behind the wheel, you know, all bets are off at that stage. So it's one of the, the, the complex factors of the three-car teams and the, the driver rating system and the way that Le Mans works is that you, you can't write anyone off. So, Ollie, do you want to do predictions for LMP2 overall now or do we want to go through the LMP2 AM, or Pro-AM category first before we do pr- predictions? 
let's do the predictions to finish. To finish. Okay, we'll, we'll save the best to last in that respect. In the meantime, uh, there is, as we made mention, a subcategory in this class, uh, feature of, which is called LMP2 Pro-Am, which effectively means that these teams are driving with a bronze driver in their lineup. And we've made mention that the, the difference between the silver driver and the bronze driver can be quite large. Um, so to keep these teams invested and to keep uh, the, the the competition, you know, something t- for these teams to fight for, they, they made a new subcategory uh, for these teams. Now, uh, these teams, they get their own podium presentation and everything, right? It's like a full-on class. It's just using the same cars. Well, I don't know about the podium ceremony because, but for the 24 Hours of Le Mans, because they do have their own podium ceremony for European Le Mans series. It used to be that the bronze driver in the best P2 would get onto the podium and have their own trophy alone uh, in WEC. So I'm interested to see if they get their own podium because for them to have a podium, a proper podium ceremony kind of legitimizes the class and kind of makes it more worth fighting for like to have your moment in front of the, those thousands of fans on the track um after the race is like yeah it's something worth investing your millions in for this race so um yeah i think they do but it's kind of like a weird subcategory that kind of is just hovering there. So, so, <laughs> so, do you think? Do you think this is a formula that has worked for the WEC? You know, we're in our second season of the pro am category as it stands. We had a interesting battle for the the win of Le Mans last year that went the way of Dragon Speed USA with I think Heinrich uh, Hedman. Was it Heinrich Hedman? Okay, Heinrich Hedman. And I know one Pablo Montoya was in that car as well. In fact, I have the spotter's guide just above my head, so I should look at it and see that Ben Hanley was the third driver in that car. And then we also had a enthralling battle to the line for the championship in LMP2 Pro-Am between the racing team Netherlands car, which is uh, not on the entry list for Le Mans this year, um, and also the real team racing car with the bronze driver of... Uh, Esteban Garcia, which went down to the wire. Is, is this a category that has worked? Is it something that is is worth looking into and investing some brain power in deciphering? Well, I think in terms of the bronzes, yes. Um, considering how proud Fritz van Eert was to celebrate him becoming technically a world champion at something is some you know it's pretty cool and worth fighting for and putting your money down to then brag to your billionaire mates by the way i'm a world champion Um, and and, and this is a guy that owns jumbo supermarkets in in the netherlands and elsewhere (laughs) yes um and so uh, in that respect it it works um because they are proud of that um, and they would never have a chance, a realistic chance of having that without this pro-am class. Mm. So in that respect, it's working in terms of the fan engagement. You've got to really look for it, for it to work. 
Um, because on without timing or looking at the ticker on the screen, they're this, just two LMP2s fighting each other. Yeah. But when you realise, oh, this one's a Pro-Am, this one is in a normal P2, um, it adds to the kind of detail. And the more you look into it, the more you potentially can get out of it, as with pretty much everything sports cars. So, yeah, once you then look at, oh, there's a, a P2 Pro-Am with the Pro in the car that's further down the field, but it's chasing up behind uh, a P2 Pro-Am that may have started with a Pro and now they've got the bronze in and so they're kind of falling back. Uh, we see this a lot in uh, European Le Mans series where the TDS Vaillant team, they've got a lot of the time pole position near the front and then they have a bronze and it's interesting to see how that bronze lap time then falls off mm. effectively and they are then um, tumbling down the field but that's expected when you've got a bronze against top level drivers. So it's interesting to see how this changes the ebb and flow and having the pro-am subcategory has then brought more pro-ams in. So then you get more of this reshuffling effect. Um, you're going to get more overtakes um, mm. when you've got cars bottlenecked behind a bronze trying to overtake it. It gets a bit dicey. So um, yeah, I guess it adds to the to the show um and yeah as i said the more you look into it the the more you get out of it and understand what's going on absolutely right and i love that you repeated that because if you weren't i was going to for you you mentioned the tds racing valiante car uh and the elms they're racing here as well as part of a 10 car pro-am uh category uh so that's a that's a pretty big one and uh, as you made mention often that car is put on pole by matthias besh who's the pro driver in that car um he's driving with uh a time and vanderhelm as as a silver and then their bronze driver is uh felipe simodomo and uh you, you've got to say that simodomo is still finding his feet behind the wheel of a, an lmp2 car yeah um i i think I don't want to be rude, but uh, I've, I've got to. But you're going to be. My <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a good fight between him and Miroslav Kanopka to work out who's the slowest driver <laughs> in Brilliant. prototypes. Absolutely, he, he yeah. might be doing GTE lap times. Yeah, ex- like, yeah, it's it's. Quite quite a thing. the The spectrum of pace in the bronze driver category alone is wild. So you know you have guys like uh, Simodomo and uh, Konopka who are very very slow, and then you've got guys on the other hand uh, like, for example, maybe a Rodrigo Sales or a Eric, Eric Trelleway who have a bit more standing behind them, or Fritz Van Erd if he was in this race, who can actually wheel a car. You know quite quickly um you mentioned uh, a- a Miroslav Kodoka so let's talk about ARC Bratislava beautiful looking car by the way the 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 yellow with the kind of rainbow smattering lines down the side a, a lot more of a purple emphasis in those uh stripes down the side this year which looks really really cool um Konopka is the bronze uh and will be the anchor in that team quite clearly uh also has uh Bent Viscal and Tristan Vautier who's a, a a driver that's done a bunch of different stuff uh do we do we hope that car gets to the finish? Is the question I ask. We hope every car gets to the finish uh, because G drive isn't here anymore. 
Um, <laughs> so no, no, of course we want them to finish. It's like the spirit of Le Mans. So that that car was was the first car uh, out of the race at Spa-Francorchamps. Uh, Knopke came off the Campus S's, uh, got a bit of oversteer just as the rain started to fall and made heavy impact with the wall. Um, are we expecting that car to to do much better than get to the end? Um, not really. Like he's got some good good teammates, but it's like they've been banished to drive that car yeah um so um yeah it'll be weird to see because they're going to be other cars with more you know with several amateurs um and these guys are probably going to be passing them uh quite easily with their pro drivers in but um yeah then when miroslav gets back in the car it's going to drop like a stone it's it's the old ebb and flow of of the drivers in that car. Uh, a, a car that I'm really actually excited to see is the number three DKR Engineering. This is a Lux- Luxembourgian based team in DKR, and, and the reason I'm excited for this car is because their their pro driver Lawrence Hoare has continued to impress me in basically everything that he gets behind the wheel of. So he's the gold in that car. He's driving with Alexandra Cognat as the silver and Jean Glereux as the the bronze. Uh, they're actually quite a competent trio of drivers. This car has placed well in the Pro-Am categories in ELMS uh, and the Asian Le Mans series when they raced over there, mostly off the back of Lawrence Hoare. Uh, for the pro drivers in this class, why would you want to be a pro driver in this class? Why would you want to be a pro driver? In in, um, in this class, racing, racing in the Pro-Am category. Ah, uh, well... I think this is a good opportunity to describe the opportunity that Lawrence Hoare has in terms of being a springboard because LMP3, there's a ladder system between LMP3 and LMP2 and the top class hypercar. And this could be, you know, like an intermediate stepping stone between P3 and P2 proper. I can't remember him driving a p2 much so it might be a you know a a sign of things to come and and that's kind of what i was getting towards as well the the fact that you know for a for a pro driver in this sort of class you don't really have any expectations you're not expected to win because you've got a bronze in your car you're not expected to to be passing the guys at the front of the field because you know when you hand that car back you're gonna drop like a stone so the fact that you get a sort of no pressure uh opportunity to just kind of show off and drive a car real fast it actually produces some some great racing some great opportunities for these guys and Lawrence Hoare is one of those that have taken taken that chance really really well I think yeah I think this is the first car that uh, that's that we've gone through that's had double amateur uh driver lineup so yeah I think it's a good opportunity for him to shine but in terms of the car overall yeah I'm not so sure and that's fair enough. Uh, uh, Nielsen Racing and CD Sport won their entries into the Le Mans 24 Hours through the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, Nielsen Racing won the LMP2 category of the Asian Le Mans series with Rodrigo Salads, Matt Bell, and Ben Hanley driving that car. Um, ben Hanley, of course, uh, has raced 
He, previously with Dragon Speed, uh, we made mention of him uh, a little while ago. Uh, Matt Bell and Rodrigo Salas, they, they're from IMSA competition, right, Rodrigo Salas? I think so, yes. Yeah, so making the trip over. Um, interesting that they, they won their um, uh, entry through the Asian Le Mans series, yet, uh, you know, Salas is American-based. Yeah, but I think these are the kind of the second option uh, alongside um, AF Corsa at the bottom of the entry list um, for this Pro-Am victory. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's a team to look out for. Uh, you won't miss them because of their big uh, Mexican influence, because I think Rodrigo Sales is also Mexican. Um, so uh, there's like a big Dios de los Muertes, like <laughs> Day of the Dead uh, livery. That's um, pretty cool. With like skulls and stuff. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's nice. I love, I love uh, teams showing their sort of uh, personality like that. Uh, City Sport, they're the, the only team driving the Ligier through the field. And I suspect that maybe because um, they may be in a, in a situation where they do not own the car that they're running. They are only leasing it, which is a, a situation where a few LMP3 teams that have won entries have found themselves in. Um, so I, I, I think, I suspect that may be the case of CD Sport. Uh, in saying that though, they, they did win the Asian Le Mans series in LMP3, so they did earn that, uh, that drive through the ladder, the ACO ladder. Uh, drivers, uh, Christoph Kresp, uh, Michael, Michael Jens, the Michael Jensen, which is not Michael Jensen. They're two different people. So this is the silver, bronze rated rather, Michael Jensen and Stephen Palette. So the, the key thing in this car that I want to point out is that it's two bronze drivers and a silver. So this is the first all am driving lineup that we've come across. Uh, so what are their, what would their expectations be for this event, Ollie? To finish. Um, so they have, uh, they're the only team that's not running uh, an Orica. And so they're using a Ligier, which is, uh, it's using a different gearbox. I think it's a Hewland gearbox instead of an X-Trap, I think. And they have been known to break drive shafts. So not only are they going to be chilling with uh, potentially slower drivers, but also they're maybe nursing the car to the finish um yeah so we'll see we'll see uh another car that's running all amateurs is the ultimate car this runs in the wec as a pro-am car the number 35 and this has uh john baptiste lahaye and matteo lahaye as a pair of silver drivers and they've got the bronze driver of francois hero uh this has been a, a really interesting story, uh, the Ultimate Car and the, the way that it has climbed the ACO ladder. Because when I first encountered the Ultimate team, they were running as an LMP3 team in the Le Mans Cup. So, you know, it's, it's been quite an acceleration of, uh, of their, uh, their journey now to be racing in the WEC full time. Yeah, I think they're kind of a bit anonymous, though. I mean, they are um, running a trio of silvers in a world championship, or a trio of uh, yeah. amateurs, rather. Yeah, I think they're, you know, they're in WEC primarily, probably, to just get the the locked-in entry to the, the mall. But yeah, uh, I'm not sure about them 
necessarily winning Pro-Am. But um, yeah, we'll see. They are sitting currently second in the WEC's uh, Pro-Am category, um, but there is only four cars in that category. And as we have made mention, one of those is the ARC Bratislava car. So, uh, you know, it, it is slim, slim pickings, pardon me, in that uh, sort of category. Uh, the next Pro-Am car is the Graf Racing Team. Now, this has seen quite a a change in scenery compared to where they were last year, or rather two seasons ago. Um, Graf were running a quite competitive team uh, in a few seasons past. I, I remember in seasons past, they were running uh, James Allen, Charles Malesi as the silver, and Paul Lupchatin, and that was when they were fighting out for the lead of the race, which was quite a surprise because we weren't expecting that at all. This time around, they're running a full AM lineup, uh, almost a full AM lineup, rather, uh, with a pair of bronze drivers. So the first car that we've seen with two bronzes in it, no, that's a lie. It's the second car we've seen with two bronzes in it uh, and a gold driver uh, this time around. So they've got uh, Eric Trelouet and Sebastian Page uh, as the pair of bronze drivers and David Drew as the gold in that car. Now, where have these drivers come from in the ACO ladder, uh, Ollie? Well, I recognise these guys from um, LMP3 stuff. Mm. So even though David Drew is rated as a gold, I can't remember much um, P2 experience um, in my mind when I read his name on the entry list. It's bringing up P3 stuff. But uh, yeah, I think with Truier and Paj, again, it's double bronze. Like, yeah, it's going to be tough to compete with uh for the pro-am win yeah and uh, those guys are also guys that are more familiar driving the lmp3 car um which has a little less aero and a little more power i think or rather a a slightly larger larger engine so uh yeah it's it's interesting that they've they're making the step up to an lmp2 effort with graph uh Finally, the the last two cars on the Pro-Am entry are a pair of t- uh, drives from Algarve Pro Racing. This team used to run what was the G-Drive Racing team um, before the political situation with Russia and everything that's going on with that. Um, so they've um, gone to a, a home brand sort of Algarve Pro uh, lineup. Um, this team's based in Portugal, unsurprisingly. Uh, and in the full season WEC car, the number 45, they have Stephen Thomas, James Allen, and Rene Binder. Um, so uh, two more well-known drivers and then Steve Thomas from the USA. And then in the 47 car, we have another woman on the entry list in Sophia Flersch uh, as the silver, uh, Jack Aitken running as the gold, and John Falb, who have been, who's been a long-time Algarve Pro Racing customer as the bronze driver. Algarve Pro, what are our thoughts generally overall on the team? How, how have they been tracking uh, this season and in, in the last few seasons past? Good, but making mistakes, I think, is the best way to describe it. They've made some some blunders um, with pit stops and things like that. And uh, they've become a bit of a meme. So, yeah, uh, if they have a clean race, they'll be really good. And they might win Pro-Am. But um, over 24 hours, there's a lot of opportunities to make mistakes. Well, it- 
In saying that, though, if being in the pro-am category is probably the kindest situation to be in, then if you are a team that is prone to making mistakes, and like we're saying that, like, oh, they, they make mistakes. What, what, what we're really saying is that there was a period of time where, at the very pointy end of LMP2, when they were trying to compete at the very pointy end of LMP2, they made a mistake in a you know a mistake a race that took them out of the mix, and you know that was enough when you're running a team that has been renowned as one of the hardest teams to beat for the past five, six seasons in a row, that a one mistake a race is going to take you out of it. But one mistake in a pro-am race is, is, is that going to have the same effect? Do you think? Yeah, that's a good point because yeah, there's so much strength in depth in the full fat LMP2 field. You've kind of got more margin for error in, uh, in pro-am. So yeah, um, that's a good point. I think they might be able to get away with one or two per car, but yeah, they'll have to be, uh, I guess, on a, on a bad day if they're properly screwing up more than that. Uh, Sophia Flirsch will, of course, have a lot of attention around her in- involvement as a quite a high-profile uh, woman driver um, who has quite a social media presence. Uh, how have you rated her... Uh, journey into sports cars uh, over the past few seasons? I think it's interesting. I think she's positioned quite well because she kind of, she was the best of the three um, main drivers in the Richard Mill team. And I think, yeah, she's positioned really well in terms of the silver driver market as that shifts um, in future to kind of move away from young professionals um so the the kind of lap times of silvers should be getting a bit slower uh i think she would then get closer to the bleeding edge of silver lap times um so i think she's positioned really well uh and timed uh joining moving to sports cars quite well and i think she's got a future here yeah yeah and and just to underline that point uh in the first round of the european le mans series this year where she drove the Richard Mill racing car with, sorry, she drove the Prema car with, was it the Prema car? She she drove a car with Bent Viscal that placed second is the point I'm trying to make. And, you know, Bent Viscal as well, a silver rated driver. So a pair of silver drivers going up in a full a full fat LMP2 field and finishing second place, is, it was quite a surprise and kind of it, it, indicative of the sort of pace that she does have. Yeah, I think it was the car that she's in now. Uh, it's just that Jack Aitken... Uh, has come in because Bent Viscal went to into a- Europol. Sorry, no. ASC Bratislava. Um, ASR, ARC, the other yellow team. And uh, yeah, Jack Aitken moved over because Racing Team Turkey didn't get an entry. Yeah. Uh, so it was a bit of a merry ground. Yeah, it is. It is also that is the kind of the way it goes sometimes with everyone wanting to try and find their way into a seat at Lamar. So uh, that's where she's ended up, and uh, you know, with Jack Aiken next to her as well. That's that's a formidable duo. But you know, John Fowl maybe not the same sort of pace as say a uh, Francois Perotto or you know someone of of that ilk. Yeah, yeah. So ten cars in LMP2. We have we did mention AF Corsa. Previously, when we were talking about you know potential overall finishes, and they they are a pro am car. Uh, where do, who do you put your money behind if you're looking at the pro am category? Who do you reckon is going to be the cars to watch? Well, with that segue, I mean, 
you kind of made it quite obvious. <laughs> yeah, fair. Pro am. I, I think the pro am winner is going to be AF Corsa. Okay, if we forget about AF Corsa, if we pretend they're not in a class, let's say that they have like a and an, dramatic engine blow up in the first hour, the likes that we've never seen before, the Gibson V8. Where where else do you look? Um, Nielsen Racing. I think they have a solid driver lineup, um, and I would say the European Le Mans Series Algar Pro car that we just talked about with Flersch, Falb, and Aitken. Okay, uh, no, no love then at all for DKR Engineering because that's that's the sort of car that I'd be be looking at with a double amateur. With with a silver and a bronze, uh, which I think, in fact, all of the pro am cars have a silver and a bronze uh, in in their lineup. Oh, except for no. except for AF Corsa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and Nielsen. Uh, oh no, Matt Nielsen. Bell. No, wow. Matt Bell is a silver rated driver. Wow. wow, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I think yeah, DKR coming from P three, no. P2 experience. Um, yeah, I'm going with Nielsen or APR. Fair enough. And of, of course, this is all, you know, dependent on AF Corsa not having a good race anyway. Yes. Now, talking about the big field, we've got 27 cars. We've already, we talked about potentially 10 of them having a shot at the victory in this class. Ollie, uh, I'll give you a few minutes to think about it. I'll give you two or three minutes to think about it. Uh, we'll get you to give us your top three, uh, and I'll give you two supplementaries as well. So basically, give me your top five. Uh, while you're thinking about that, I'll just uh, say a quick thanks to our sponsor, theracingline.app, your motorsport calendar. Uh, make sure you check them out on the iOS store and the Android store, the Google Play store. Uh, they've uh, supported us this year uh, with some sponsorship as they did last year, and they do a really, really good job of putting together motorsport calendars, setting up alerts uh, so you can Basically, you just never miss a session of any racing that you want. And that's from WEC to IMSA to Formula One to V8 Supercars to DTM to whatever sort of racing you're into. Uh, the calendars that they've got and the sort of alert system they've got there means that you won't miss a session. We're very appreciative of their support. Uh, as well, uh, we've got, of course, a bunch of stuff going on on the w, uh, WEC subreddit, of course. Uh, part of that is... Uh, M.W. Clarkson's Fantasy WC competition. So hopefully the details on the drivers uh, helps you out in your picks for the Fantasy WC. Uh, of course, make sure you check out our Lamar intro podcast. Uh, make sure you check out the Spotters Guide when it comes out. Thanks you to Mateus uh, Groziak for putting that one together as well. And yeah, make sure you just get involved and get into the conversation because uh, this should be a very interesting category in LMP2. Ollie, I need your picks for me top five please hmm it's tough i think my top five in descending order so first to fifth first to fifth so number one 31 31 that's wrt the, that's the wrt that's the full season car sean galel robin Fryens, and Rene rass that is starting off very very strong P2, let's go with the 23. 
That's the United Autosports, uh, Alex Lynn, Oliver Jarvis, and Joshua Pearson car. Are you looking for uh, the youngest ever podium getter at Le Mans then? Yes, Ooh. I think I, I think there's going to be a, a big like welcome to world motorsports moment of him like standing on that podium. Um, uh, what else? Um, I'm going to go with the ultimate honeypot 32 wrt that's the the second wrt card the rolf and i can uh mirko bortolotti and dries vantor machine as well that's that's also a pretty tasty car i think i'm gonna be controversial and do real team which is 41 which is another wrt driven car or run car rui andrada ferdinand hatsburg and norman nato and then I'm I'm torn between two cars, but I'm going to go with the number nine Prema. And that's the Robert Kubica, Louis Delatraz, and Lorenzo Colombo machine. That is a formidable quintet that you've picked there. And interesting to me is that you've picked literally the top four teams in the World Endurance Championship at the moment, and then the the honeypot in the number forty uh, thirty two. So well done there. I wonder why they look so good. <laughs> they do look quite good. Um, now I've got to I've got to pick some cars as well, don't I? I I might throw in one or two curveballs just for just for some fun. I I reckon I'm going to go the number thirty two for the overall win. I reckon I'm going to dive deep into the honey pot on that one. Well, uh, yeah, I'm 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 drinking the Kool Aid. I'm I'm getting a high off my own supply. I think WRT are just. Gonna do it, and they're gonna do it again. In fact, I'm just gonna pick all three WRT cars as my podium, uh, and then <laughs> what's the worst that could happen, right? Uh, and then no, I'm not gonna do that. I'll go uh, 32. So the uh, and I can Bortolotti Vantor car. Um, I'm gonna go the 23, like as you said, uh, Lynn Jarvis Pearson. Uh, I'm gonna go the 31, the other. Uh, WRT car uh, and oh, I, I want to go the 22 as well the other United Autosports car Hanson, Albuquerque and Will Owen uh, I reckon that'll be in the mix and then for, for the fifth car I actually want to say the cool team the cool racing UFA, Ricky Taylor, Nicholas Cruton I reckon that one might surprise a few people of course as well that's you know Forgetting Team Penske, forgetting Prema, forgetting Vector, forgetting the Yoda, Yoda cars. Uh, so, you know, there's there's plenty of options that you could go into that top five as well. But we, we did agree on quite a few, I think. And uh, that's always, always a thing. <laughs> Not necessarily a good thing, but it's a thing. Okay, then, uh, what about who do you reckon is going to be the biggest surprise in LMP2? We always have one each year that just comes out of nowhere and surprises everyone. So, who's who's going to be the biggest surprise? Mm, I think it, it, it could be Panis or, I don't know, Panis or Cool Racing. So, Panis is the Julian Canal, Nicola Germin, and Job van Oetert car, and the Cool Racing car is, of course, the one that I said would be in the top five i i reckon that's a pretty good uh pretty good read on who the surprise packets could be i i, I also agree duquesne. that uh, and not duquesne no maybe duquesne maybe I'm duquesne bradley and rojas have a lot of experience exactly 
Mm. <laughs> so many good cards. So what what we're saying here is that LMP2 will be packed with stories and you know with 27 cars it's hard not to be so if you are looking for something beyond just the overall to to be invested in lmp2 is a great place to to dive deep yeah there's always going to be something going on and i'd argue ollie i'm not sure if you'd agree but i'd argue that oftentimes the lmp2 race is is better than the overall at this stage yeah 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 yeah. it's a it's a more chilled out um zen affair for working out who's going to win uh for overall because a lot of the time it's mileage um and efficiency whereas in lmp2 a lot of it's the same and it's just flat out and we've seen some we've seen some cracking lmp2 battles over the years uh any final comments you have on the prototype racing at lamar for 2022 I cannot wait. I agree. Actually, I have something that I want to bring up before we close this off. Um, Ollie, you are traveling to Le Mans this year, are you not? Yes. Yes, I am going. So could you... Finally. Could you... Uh, yeah. So you said finally there. Why is it finally? Um, because the last time I went to a motorsport event was the 2019... Uh, 24 hours of Le Mans, I think. That's crazy. That's that's three years ago. That's that's so that's so wild. It's a, a travesty that you've not been able to get to a racetrack since then. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what I'm gonna do when the first time I like smell race car, because um, there's something about the track, like oh. burning tires, exhaust smoke. That's and, and, and yeah, the sound that, as well. Yeah. Um, so. When I'm nearby, um, to hear like track action, like before you get to the track, sometimes it's like, what chef's kiss. Absolutely. Uh, you're traveling in a, a pretty unique way. I, I I think. Could you please just detail uh for for the people listening uh how you're actually getting to Lamar and and what your what your plan is. Right. So um, hopefully. Uh, well, I'll, I'll preface it with um, I somehow uh, enjoy um, like endurance sport, so um, in, endurance cycling and endurance sport in general. Um, so it's kind of mirroring two pastimes of of France, as it were, uh, cycling around it and. Uh, watching cars go round and round for 24 hours so um the venn diagram crossover of that is what i intend to do and try and ride through france in 24 hours to get to the 24 hours we'll see if i can achieve that it's um it it, it, yeah it's quite a challenge going from calais to le mans it's kind of tracing the route that most people would go from uh, England going to the 24 hours so kind of like a pilgrimage for a lot of people uh, from Britain and yeah I think I think it'd be quite cool um, so how long's the trip how long's the, the, the ride um, so it'll be over 400 kilometers it'll be touch and go so the way I calculate it is uh, I look at my moving time based on average speed and 
from that, then from the 24 hours, I can work out how much time I'm allowed to be stationary. So that's around five or six hours. Jeez. So in, in 24 sleep, hours, getting food and stuff like that. Yeah. So it'll be a nice challenge. That sounds awesome. And and as well, you're not just doing this for a laugh uh, or for yourself. You're, you're also doing this uh, to, to raise some money for what's a, a really good cause uh, in in the world of motorsport. Yeah, so um, I, I was thinking of um, doing it, doing something for charity um, and uh, trying to think of uh, a, a cause in the motorsport world. Um, and that fell to Marshall Pruitt's uh, fundraiser, um, so I've put a, a, I've made a, a, a donation page for that, and all funds raised will go towards uh, Marshall and Chabral's um, cancer fund. And that's and that's something that has been a, a long-standing story now in in the motorsport world, and we we hope that. Uh, uh, Sabral and Marshall, uh, that our, our little contribution, uh, driven by you, Ollie, that your your contribution can can help them in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's a very admirable thing that you're doing, and I I I can't wait to to hear about your experience and to track it as well uh, as 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 you travel from from Calais to to Loire. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, and you know, um, it's all well and good for me, l- lucky enough to travel. Um, you know. We should all still spare a thought of people like in in Marshall's situation where he is still like shielding um, on behalf of his household. So he can't come to all of these fun events and do his job um, for racer.com. So um, it's kind of, you know, still spare a thought for people in their situation. There are going to be people in the motorsport world who really want to travel and go to races that can't. Basically. Yeah. So yeah. Well done. Well, that's 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 awesome, and uh, I think that's a really nice note to end off this preview of the prototype classes for the 2022 uh, 24 hours of Le Mans. On behalf of Ollie, and behalf of everyone uh, involved today, thank you very much for listening. I've been Michael Delavari. Peace out. <laughs>